0: And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to Seeing Red. didn't warn you
1: hey boys and girls welcome to Scene red i'm david k montoya all right kids i've got a great interview with you this week um you're really gonna enjoy it i sat down with uh, our guest and we originally did not plan on going over the threshold uh but we did we got into some really good topics uh so i'm splitting this into two episodes so, go ahead, sit back and relax, enjoy the first part of what I'm calling Setting Down One-on-One with the Great One. Alright, kids, I got a treat for us today. Um as we head, as we ascend to episode 100, or, you know, spiral down the tube, depending on who you talk to. You <laughs> fat, no-good-some bitch, went and left a lucrative publishing career to talk about your feelings and animal sex? Motherfucker. All right, look at that. I'm already 30 seconds into it. I'm already DeGarcing. Good God. <laughs> All right, kids. I've got a great special guest. And if anybody knows me, knows that I have been a wrestling fan since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. My great-grandfather pulled me in. He's like, watch this. And I remember my very first match was Rowdy, Rowdy Piper and Jimmy Superfly Snook. It was back in, like, 82. It was a it was a still cage match, and I had been a fan ever since. And as I got older, my stepfather, he brought me into the wrestling, and he's the one who introduced me to the WWF. Uh, back then, I think the first match I watched was AWA. In fact, I became such a wrestling fan. And back in the 90s, I did what was called now is called backyard wrestling before it took off. And we actually wrestled. Except we didn't you know jump off the of houses or beat each other with chairs, we actually a friend of mine, Greg, his dad was a construction worker, so he actually made us a ring, and I was into it, I loved wrestling, I did it for years, and then of course, I met my wife, and she's like, "I'll give you something to wrestle and I was like, "I dropped that shit faster than a seventeen year old David came on to could go, "Oh." <laughs> Nice. (laughs) So, today, folks, we have all the way from the great white north, from Chatham, Ontario, Canada, the champ, the (laughs) crippler, Mike Lutz. Welcome.
2: Hey, everybody. How's it going? (laughs) Dave, that was the the most stunning intro into uh, backyard wrestling I've heard in a very long (laughs) time.
1: Oh, uh, you know, I did. Honestly, I... For many, many years, that was my thing. I thought I was going to be a wrestler. I'm six foot two, 290 pounds. And that was my thing that ever since I was a little boy, I, I, I didn't think about writing. I didn't think about making movies. I thought I was going to be a wrestler. And, you know, things happen in life. And I, I was like, eh, you know, and I, I went off to other things, but I've always had a, a great, great love for, you know, professional wrestling. For you, where did it start?
2: It starts with my father. Uh, my dad was a really big wrestling fan when he was growing up. Uh, him and his friends, uh, here in town, there was a, a place called the Piranon Ballroom. They used to hold wrestling events almost weekly. And my dad and his buddies from work, they would always go. So when my brother and I came along, uh, wrestling shows had kind of slowed down a little bit. Um every time a show would come into town, it was like, we live an hour from the Detroit border. Okay. So, we kind of would get a bunch of the guys from Detroit coming in as they're doing the loop up the 401, going to Toronto, and then coming back down around. So, every two months or so, there would be a show in town. My dad would take both my brother and I to the shows, and that's where I started to love pro wrestling. Um, TV for us was really interesting. Being so close to Detroit, um, we got a lot of, uh, territorial wrestling. We got a lot of stuff from, like, uh, Detroit had Bruiser Bedlam. It was a regional show for, like, uh, Dick the Bruiser was the host of the show. And that's where we start, I kind of started watching that. We also got, uh, shows from Toronto. We'd get Maple Leaf Wrestling, old WWF, uh, shows from Toronto. Oh, wow. And then, then, so we would kind of get the indie shows, and then we would get the more produced shows from the WWF at the time. And as it, as the years progressed, we would start to get, um, NWA wrestling, the, uh, the, the old WCW. Or, yes. Ric Flair. I was, I was not a Hulkamaniac by any stretch of the imagination. I was a Hulk. Ah, (laughs) ah. Yeah. See, when I I, even as a young kid, I saw through Hulk Hogan. I was more of a a Piper fan. So I was, I, I, I just, I, I found Hogan insincere even at such a tender age. How old were you? Oh, I grew up like. As soon as I could remember, start watching TV. It was always on because my dad would watch it on Saturdays. It would, oh um, well, it would start probably like ten o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and it would go to one, two o'clock in the afternoon. We'd get that many different shows. Okay. And so also from being a Canadian, we would also get product from Vancouver on uh, some of the Canadian feeds. So I was getting a lot of different wrestling. Uh, I um, styles, I guess you would say, from from a very early age.
1: Now, um, were you ever into like Stampede the Stampede uh, promotions? Stamp,
2: yeah, the Stampede stuff that I did see, I really liked it. Um we were getting a lot well we we would get Stampede on it was uh, TSN the Sports Network. That's what we have. It's like your version of ESPN. Okay. So they would they would play Stampede. They would also play um oh Al Tomco had a promotion in, uh, it's, I think it's now it's called ECCW. Um, it was out of Vancouver in Washington State. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you would, we would get some West Coast stuff, some East Coast stuff, uh, some stuff from Montreal every once in a while, uh, Detroit for sure, all the WWF, uh, syndication stuff that was coming out and when um turner bought uh wcw we would get a lot of the uh, wcw stuff
1: when turner bought wcw that's when i i left the wwf um i wasn't around for the whole attitude era uh i i didn't really i didn't feel that was wrestling i i i felt that it was more just you know trying to sexualize a product to make money so i went to wcw and yeah, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's okay. Um, I actually stuck with WCW all the way up until 2001. I remember watching the very last Nitro. Um, you know, and that's yeah. where I, I was brought into really appreciating, um, you know, Wh- Ric Flair, Aaron Anderson, Telly Blanchard, Ole Anderson, um, you know, the different variations of the Horsemen Sting, yeah. Lex Luger. So that's, that's where I came in.
2: That Road Warriors, uh, Ronnie Garvin, oh yes, uh, the Freebirds. Well, every once in a while, I would also get some uh, stuff out of Texas, uh, the the world class stuff.
1: Oh, WCCW.
2: Yeah, that would that would show up too. And watching the uh, the Von Erickson, the Freebirds stuff. Oh and yes, it, it, it's just you don't have crowds like that anymore. You don't have the emotional reaction. Like that anymore. It's hard to get it because I, my biggest problem is they let the genie out of the bottle. Yes. And that said, the information age, the internet age kind of took the, the fun of the, we call it kayfabe out of the, uh, the mix. And when they pulled the curtain back, that killed a lot of the crowds.
1: Yeah, because I remember, as a little boy, you know, I I honestly truly believed that, you know, it was not scripted. You know, it was just real life—the good guys versus the bad guys. Yeah. And I remember going to my great grandfather, and I'm like, "Why do they slaps? You know, why don't they punch? Slaps don't hurt." And and mind you, I was probably like you know, maybe between six and eight years old. And he looks at me and he goes, "Bam!" He goes, "Did that hurt?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "That's why."
2: well that's the fact that they believed still believed in the rules of wrestling Yes. and the rules of wrestling is no closed fists so a closed fist in wrestling is supposed to get you disqualified that's why you have the open hand slaps and the open hand chops and stuff like that nowadays there's no such thing as a rule book and
1: (laughs) people
2: are punching the heels before the heels even punch a baby face
1: I've noticed that
2: it's a strange, strange world we're living in. It's, it's, it's almost like, like when Steve Austin came in and turned everything into a shade of gray. Mm-hmm. Whereas he started out as a heel and then the fans turned him into a baby face, but he didn't change anything that he did in the ring. So he was still punching and still stomping, which are technically, technically against the rules. He got over like gangbusters, but. Now, you watch the heels, they out-wrestle the babyfaces, and the babyfaces are kicking ass.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that. It,
2: it's really, really, it's it's bizarre world that we're living in right now in the pro-wrestling world.
1: See, for me, my favorite, you know, as a child, I was a, a Hulkamaniac, but as I got into my teen years... I I got into Bret Hart. Bret the Hitman Hart is my favorite wrestler of all time. Love Bret Hart. I I love the Hart Foundation. Um, I I was eh when they they started to expand it, you know, towards the end of the 90s. Um yeah. But I I've always been a, a fan of Bret Hart. And for me, what Bret Hart brought to the table is he could wrestle, not just like you know throw people around and, and overpower them. He, he actually used maneuvers, holds, you know, and and that to me brought appreciation to the match because that taught me as a fan that they're thinking. They're not just trying to defend themselves, but they're actually thinking of what kind of maneuver, what is the best strategy against the opponent. And then, like you said, with Steve Austin, shortly after Steve Austin became, you know, the face, then... Everything started changing, and that's when the Attitude Era came in, and that's when I was like, I'm out.
2: Yeah, well, liking Ric Flair, that would make you really like Bret Hart because they're both very technical. And You look at Flair, Flair very rarely throws a punch, or he used to not throw punches at all. It was a lot of chops and stuff like that. Bret Hart and that, the whole Hart family uh, brought wrestling back to wrestling, and they I, they don't to me don't get a lot of enough credit for how they uh did it it was um it was it was a weird time back in like the attitude era it was gang warfare that's why they had to the expand the the heart foundation right yeah so you had d x the heart foundation, all these different groups trying to combat the uh, the Nwo everybody was one upping all the groups right then like I said it was it overshadowed the individual wrestler
1: I, I agree now because uh, I I really liked the original new world order um, yes. as Japanese version then yes Yes. <laughs>
2: If you want to go really original, you have to go all the way to New Japan Pro Wrestling to get the real New World Order.
1: And I don't know. I mean, I I liked the American version, but to me it just felt... It almost felt cheesy, to be truthful with you.
2: The the origin of the New World Order, like I said, uh, Bischoff did lift it right out of New Japan Pro Wrestling when... New Japan I think it was uh, the Makai Club was the group that invaded New Japan pro wrestling that became the version of the new world order uh, Eric Bischoff wanted mm-hmm. he want outside group that's invading that supposedly has no affiliation with WCW or the home group invading making it that's why he was almost getting sued daily by the WWF <laughs> about copyright infringement, about Nash and Hall and uh, Hogan. Right. So that's That was the, the origin of that stuff. It was like, right from Japan, it was the outside group invading the home company, and the home company trying to defend against them. Whereas in Japan, the home company ended up winning, uh, Bischoff flipped it, and NWO took over because it was so hot. It was they were they were making money and burning money so fast.
1: I think again, this is just me as a fan. Um, I think when they started having the variations of the NWO, you know, they had the NWO Hollywood and the Wolfpack, and then Hogan went to the Wolfpack, and and then you had like these kind of cheesy spinoffs. You know, you had like the Latino World Order and this World Order. <laughs> it got too a bad. little t- <laughs> <laughs> it got a little too much.
2: That was, um, uh, too much success eating itself because everybody wanted to be on the ass kicking team, mm-hmm. and everybody in WCW goes, Well, I'm tired of getting beat like a, <laughs> like a rented mule. And every, that's when you started to see the branches of the NWO, and that's when it started to collapse on its own weight because there was nobody left for them to fight except themselves. Right. And then it just kind of, it was ridiculous how many guys, like, I was in Detroit and went to Auburn Hills um, watching uh, a live Nitro, and when the NWO hit the ring, they filled the ring with guys. It was just so many people there, just like, okay, who's left to wrestle? Right. And then nobody of any consequence wanted to wrestle these guys, because they were just getting beat to death.
1: I think that after uh, what's his name, Sean Waltman. Well, yes, after he joined, I think that's when, because I think six was a good number. I think they should have stayed with six. Yeah, but then after you know they they started. Um, well, that's not true because I did like uh, Scott Norton. I, I thought he was a really good wrestler, powerhouse. But yeah. af- after they got rid of DiBiase, because DiBiase, of course, was the, the mouth of the, the New World Order, and then they swapped him in with Bischoff. I think that's when it, it kind of turned for me. I started rooting for the other team.
2: You see, that, um, you see when you have that number, number six, it's a small enough group that it could actually get overwhelmed by the home promotion. And when you have Hall and Nash calling the shots about that, they don't, they're not going to book themselves to lose. Right. So that's when you start adding guys, and you have Hall and Nash and Six and whoever else is in there just beating everybody. They would send the entire locker room, and the the bodies, it would look like a car wreck. (laughs) These guys were superhuman at the time, and when Bischoff Replace DiBiase, he just wanted to be. He was just jumping on the coattails mm. because he didn't want to get his ass kicked either.
1: <laughs> that's, because
2: that's the angle they were heading in. Because they said there was there was times when Hall and Nash roughed up Bischoff, and as the boss is going, screw that, and I want to be I want to be one of the cool guys, and that's where you got another jacket Bischoff.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> So, when was it for you? When did you decide that you were going to become a wrestler?
2: Oh, easy. Grade 8. We were probably, grade 8 cemented it for me. We had our grade 8 yearbook, and they said, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And grade 8, the first line I said, professional wrestler or police officer. I am not a police officer. (laughs) Um, I have always, always loved pro wrestling. Um, I've always wanted to do it. When I finally got an opportunity to train, I jumped at it. I absolutely jumped at it. I had a friend of mine. Oh, we're going back 20 years now. A uh, friend of mine I knew through uh comic book, collecting and gaming and said we were friends outside of that. I found out that he was a wrestler. went, wow, oh cool. So I started talking to him about it and he goes, well, we got a show coming up in a couple of weeks. So sweet. So I went to the show. It was a local indie show and Jeff introduced me to Sean Brown, the guy running the show. Jeff goes, yeah, Sean, uh, Mike, Mike wants to become a wrestler and Sean did the whatever.
1: It was,
2: <laughs> it was, it was the classic blow off. Like he wanted nothing to do with me. So I helped tear down the ring and I after, after the show, I, I talked to Sean. I go, yeah, I'm really interested. I want to learn how to train. He goes, all right. Um, bring me 250 bucks and meet me at this warehouse tomorrow. We'll, we'll, we'll start. Okay. I'm in. So I go, I go to the warehouse at the allotted time. I got the money in my pocket and no Sean. I'm going, oh damn. This is, this, this is the end of that. And then um, another one of the guys that I knew, he happened to show up at the warehouse at the same time. And he, I go, Do you know where Sean is? He goes, oh, he's probably sleeping still. He said, did you want to go pick him up? I went, yes, absolutely yes. (laughs) So we go over to this place that uh, Sean and his brother were staying at. I'm knocking on the door, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted to train, right? I said, yep. He goes, all right. So I woke him up from a dead sleep and dragged him over to his training Paul, basically, the ring from the night before was still in pieces on the floor. It goes, Okay, your first lesson, put the ring together.
1: Oh, nice.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I had no idea how this was going on. Him and his brother were laughing at me the entire time. I said, "I, I finally managed to get the ring together without killing myself or having it fall apart. And we just took off from there. And it went, we would go uh six days a week uh at least three to four hours a day training.
1: Oh.
2: And I spent the first five months just learning how to bump, how to fall properly. And then once I convinced them that I could land right and I could not hurt anybody else in the match, then we started like The slow process of learning moves and how to work a match. Um, we would constantly be watching tapes from Japan, so we were heavily influenced by the New Japan and All Japan Pro Wrestling at that time. And we just kept going and going and going. And then I think it was like a year after I started, I had my first match.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Batter, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10-50% to 50% off on selected items. Get the all-new Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt, or non-members can pick up one of our ebooks for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, Batter, Better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart
1: Now, were you a face or heel?
2: I, at that point in time, it was... I would say I was a face because I sold more tickets and I had more people cheering for me at the hall. So... But because because of my size, it was hard to get sympathy. So I ended up being a heel more times than not. Ah. So... It, 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 it was hard for me to like. It was hard for me to get the sympathy of the crowd because nobody goes. Well, okay, he's way too big to be getting his ass beat by.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, at what point do you join the Great White North Wrestling Championship oh, Wrestling?
2: That um, we actually, we just talked about that the the other day. We were trying to pin down. Um, I believe that was about four or five years ago when I started uh, working with the the GWN. Uh, Up until that point in time, I would just take bookings all over uh, Ontario, uh, down into Michigan and Ohio, uh, working in uh, small indie groups there. Uh, We ran our own promotions here in town. Um, We spent more time in chatham in windsor uh doing shows than we have been in, in uh, gwn okay but uh, gwn um it's the pretty much getting to be my retirement spot because it's just i i'm i'm finding i'm slowing down and i have other responsibilities and it's it's hard to say but i might have to walk away from this at Sooner rather than later. So, but working with GWN has been having been having a great time. My debut in the GWN was in a tag match. I uh, uh, who was it? Myself and a guy named Patrick were wrestling uh, Wildfire, Tommy Birch, and I can't remember the other guy. Uh, me and Patrick were the Falcors. Oh, really? Yes. The Falcors is a, is a team, the GWN is, it's, when they need a team, they have a built-in team. Right. So everybody gets to be a Falcor at one point in time. I said, I'm pulling the curtain back a little bit, but <laughs> it's, everybody gets a shot at being a Falcor. And I had not been in a ring for close to two years at that point in time. When I, like, we're dressed all in black, head to toe black, we've got, uh, black long-sleeved shirts black long pants uh, black masks and over that we wear um, black hockey masks so basically you just see two two big cats and all black going out there just whipping ass some of the smart marks from Ontario put two and two together because like I said my size gives me away wherever I go right and one of the guys doing a road report for that, he goes, "Yeah, some uh, some stocky wrestler uh, was throwing suplexes like an Iron Man that I used to know. My old nickname was Iron Mike." So he he clued into it right away, and that's that's was my introduction back into uh wrestling.
1: So from that point, in a four year span, it took you four years to get to the the championship, yeah, the heavyweight championship. Yeah.
2: Um, I came into GWN as a heel after I dropped the Falcor stuff. Um, they were looking for a big guy, big heel, just to smack around the baby faces. And I said, well, I can do that. No problem for you. Um, did that on and off. I came, uh, joined uh, um, the House of Igor as, as um, one of their champ- Like I, I was given a championship right off the hop. Earned earned my shot. I think it was the Commonwealth title that I earned, and then went on a heel run for a long time. And then after a while, said Sean uh, was wrestling for GWN as well as uh, the Silverback as a heel. At one point in time, we kind of crossed paths, and okay, a little backstory. Sean and I when we wrestled. We were mostly a tag team okay. uh, down on Windsor and Chatham. We would call ourselves Team Tapout. And basically, we would just go around and said, We were dicks. We would just, we were dicks to everybody. Uh, <laughs> in the back, the guys that were wrestling, it was just because nobody could legitimately beat us. Like, we we were bullies, I guess was for, for lack of a better term.
1: Now, is this the same Sean Brown that trained you? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes.
2: So Sean and I and his brother Nathan, we've been together, well, for the last 20 years, for the, the, the length of my career. Sean um, and I got together. We had the idea of, uh, well, we stole the idea from the APA, the Act Light like Protection Agency, because we really loved the way that Farouk and Bradshaw were just beating everybody's ass. <laughs> and we were at a show in Windsor and we were doing a tag match and the guys that we were working from Detroit they we, we we deemed them not worthy of us. That's how arrogant we were and probably still are. But uh, we we just we just crushed them. We just crushed them. Didn't give them anything. We just beat the holy hell out of these two guys. And after, and while we're doing this, the fans are going absolutely bonkers. They love it. We're going, oh, wait a minute. We might be on to something here. And this is when the UFC was kind of taking off at the same time. Okay. So we started to mix um, a lot of submission stuff and, like, MMA stuff into the wrestling. And people just digging it and we're just going okay we need a team name and tap out gear was everywhere so we thought well no better reason not to steal something popular so we uh we glommed on to tap out and we just we thought well how else are we not going to get sued team tap out we'll put a team in front of it and we'll we'll separate the the, the tap out we'll make it two words yeah that'll slow them down yeah. Because we're <laughs> nobody <laughs> you know. so uh we just went on a tear as team Tapper, and we would go up and down from windsor to toronto as as this tag team well then now we flash forward to Gwn johns are already there uh i come in they had to convince the promoter to i would be worth it would be worth them to bring me in uh, long story short, Sean and I crossed paths somewhere along the line, and we decided we're gonna fire up Team Tapout again. And it was at this point in time, the the tag team division was a little weak, and we went in there, and as Team Tapout, and a lot of people remembered us as Team Tapout. And when we walked out the first time, they were throwing babies in the air, and everybody was jumping up and down, and <laughs> we were going, Oh, somebody's gonna get their ass kicked right here. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. That's cool. And we, that, we just went in, and uh, for our ring music, we use uh, "For Whom the Bell Tolls" by Metallica. And when that first when it first hits, everybody goes, "Oh, here it comes!" <laughs> <laughs> so we would just go in there and beat everybody up, and that's that's the way to. And then. When that got played out, we split, and we became the worst, best of friends and the worst of enemies, because we would just, what we were doing to everybody else, we just turned it on each other, and we amped it up, and we just beat the living hell out of each other. And right now, I said, I'm I'm still a heel with the, the after party, and Sean's a... A member of the Party Crashers, so we just we just did a uh, cage match in Simcoe, Ontario, not too uh, a couple weeks ago, and I you know, said that was, in my opinion, somewhat of a disaster, but it kind of ended the feud. Oh, did it? Yep, yep. <laughs> it was it was an okay match, but it was there was there were some technical things that I did wrong that could have made it a better match, but I, I, screwed up.
1: Um, I got to watch you for the very first time last week. Oh, uh, you did? I did. I, I, in <laughs> fact, I got to watch the entire throwdown.
2: Oh, that's the one in, uh, Hamilton, wasn't it?
1: Um, at the Ukrainian culture center,
2: <laughs> Hamilton, Ontario.
1: And, uh, somebody posted it on, on, um, youtube and i found it and in fact a lot of the old back matches are posted and this guy was shooting in high def so the the matches look nice and clean yeah and uh, i got to watch you for the first time and I, I was very impressed i honestly i i'm and i'm not saying this because we're friends i'm, I'm being truthful and honest with you with your movement your timing the holds that you used, I was very impressed. And I was like, okay, I see why they gave you the gold. Thank
2: you very much. Yeah, I can't – was that the one with uh, C.K. Savage?
1: That was with um, TNT and it was a – Oh, the
2: the three-way match. Yes. Yeah, that match. Yeah, that was uh, (laughs) – That was actually kind of fun the way that was set up. That was not supposed to happen that way. Um, I was supposed to be wrestling C.K. Savage. Uh, He was supposed to be getting his return match. He called up the day of the show. He had a family emergency. He was not going to be able to make it. The promoter comes up to me and goes, Mike, you don't have a match. I went, oh, great, day off. He goes, no, 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 you're gonna be, <laughs> I said, but what, what, how, how are we gonna do that? So we, we, we sat down, we were trying to figure everything out, and, uh, I suggested the three-way match, because I knew Sean and TNT were going to be having their match to find, to figure out who was gonna be getting me next. I go, just throw me into the mix, and we'll, we'll let the chips fall where they may. And, the uh, the end result was, I, mean, I think it was a really good match. I, I had a lot of fun in that match.
1: You can tell. You can totally tell you were totally into it.
2: Oh, yeah. There's, there is there there is video. I don't think it's out there. Um, the promoter, uh, he goes, I can tell when you're having fun because of my, my facial expressions change. But if somebody does something, Mike... You flip a switch, and you get this look on your face of a axe murderer. <laughs> and I said, well, he said sometimes people need to be beat down and brought back into uh, line."
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I honestly, I was surprised. I shouldn't be surprised because that's where we're going to segue into next is because you're a podcaster. But I was really impressed with your mic work, too.
2: That is... The weakest part of my game, actually, is my promo skills. Um, when, when I'm, when I'm podcasting, I, I, it's just improv. It's just off the cup. I, like, I, I don't even think about it. It goes from the brain to the mouth. Great pipeline. Don't, don't worry about <laughs> it. It's gonna, either one way or the other, it's going to be either great or bad. Um, I have a hard time with my promos when I have to get something across. Like especially when the promoter says you have to hit these points, I go, it doesn't feel natural. Like I I'm camera shy. That's really? what it is. I'm camera shy. Because when um, when I'm cutting promos in a ring, it's not bad. I can I can look at everything but the people. I look, the old trick of look, just look over their heads at the back of the wall. I can do that, not a problem. But when I'm looking down the barrel of a camera, I get nervous, and I, I it becomes a, a, a just an absolute train wreck of a of a of a talk. And if you look at a couple of my promos, they're 30 seconds because they're those are the longest 30 seconds of my life as far as I'm
1: concerned. <laughs> um, so. With you right now, you're, you're the, uh, in the after party, um, Brian Rinda is the executive, what is it? Executive uh, director? Executive
2: producer. Okay. The director,
1: yeah. Um, and your, your team, as it were, has all the gold. So can you give us a little of what's, what's to be expected next now that pretty much the after party runs the show?
2: Well, what we're going to do is we're going to completely run roughshod over the GWN and there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it because now that we have all the belts, we've proven the fact that we are the superior athletes in the uh, the GWN. Under any conditions that the GWN, the party crashers, the promoters throw at us, we always prevail. We find the way to be the winners because we are winners. Um, that being said, the November show in Hamilton, my understanding, and this just came down, uh, is going to be war games. Ooh. Yeah, it's going to be a, a single cage war game style. So we, it's going to be the after party versus the party crashers to, uh, wrap up the season because, uh, Come November, the end of November, winters really start to get real terrible around here. Nobody wants to drive, like, uh, on the highway. Sean was almost in a, was, uh, almost seriously injured in a car accident last year in a, in a whiteout situation. Really? So, yeah, it was, uh, he was involved. I do believe the number was 25 cars and trucks Holy piled cr- up. Yeah. And his wife, like very narrowly, got uh, avoided getting hurt real bad. So we shut it down in November and pick it up after uh, was it uh, January, March, about Marchish when it starts to uh, get a little bit better around here. So uh, we're gonna rough sh- run roughshod, beat the hell out of them. We're gonna go into their war games that they want and we're going to come out with all the belts again, uh, I have to wrestle TNT uh on that show because he still considers himself the the champion of record. Yeah. I, he broke his hand pretty severely a couple months back, and that's when I won the title off C.K. Savage. Now, TNT is saying that he still is the champion, and I'm saying I have the belt. <laughs>
1: so
2: he he has managed to get a a, a return match clause somehow some way now he wants to get the his belt back and that's not going to happen
1: so in other words he was asking for an ass whipping
2: yes oh yeah he's just begging to get beat so and I'm more than happy to oblige so TNT, okay if you want your ass whipping i got it for you
1: I actually look forward to that one. and, and uh, oh, Me too. Me too. <laughs> and uh, I, I really – I don't watch any other professional wrestling. I, I Like I said, I stopped watching. Well, that's not true. I did watch the last WrestleMania, but other than that, because I knew – I heard through the grapevine that it was going to be The Undertaker's last match, and I just wanted to watch it. But I sincerely enjoy what you and everybody else in the GWN are are putting – you're putting on a really fun show with a good story with good wrestling and, and as a wrestling fan, uh, maybe not as far as like, uh, Chad style, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I, I sincerely enjoy it.
0: <laughs> Chad.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I just had to bring him up.
2: No, I, I, uh, he's, he's a special lad. <laughs> um, Thank you. Uh, Independent pro wrestling is like uh, GWN and a lot of indie shows that we do, like like not TNA, not WWE. Um, it is really close. You as a fan are right there. Like we don't, we have a little separation of the ring and the fans, but we tend to be in the small halls, and you're right in the action and. Every once in a while the action spills into your lap and we love it absolutely love performing for everybody um, be it ten people uh, the biggest show that I've ever done was 1500 people at a, a college here in Canada we put it on they had a uh, put a ring in the middle of one of the uh, the residents had a big they have a big atrium mm-hmm. a ring right in the middle of that there was 1500 people watching the show and
1: I bet that was a rush.
2: Oh, you you walk out there, and you you can hear the guy, like, you can hear the matches before you. And you always find out what side reacts the best. And then you try to play to that side. And he you you goes, doesn't matter, man. Just turn around, and they're all going crazy. And they're like, okay. And 1,500 people just going bonkers is uh, quite a feeling.
1: Oh, I bet. Yeah, you guys posted on the GWN um, Facebook page, you know, that you guys were looking to train new wrestlers. And I told my wife, I said, you're very fortunate that we do not live in Canada right now.
2: <laughs> well, here's here speaking of the wives in wrestling, um, the day that I went and met Sean at that wrestling match was the second or third date that my current wife... And I were going on. Oh, really? Really. I said, I managed to convince her to go to a wrestling show. And she, had, like, we had just met. This is like, our second or third date. And all of a sudden, I get this opportunity thrown into my lap. And I go, this is something that I, I've always wanted to do. And she was tolerant enough to say, go ahead. Just don't come whining to me with your injuries. So. <laughs> And due to her form every every time I come back from a show, I go, "Oh, she goes, "No, no, don't care. you did it to yourself <laughs> <laughs> so yeah she's a, she's been more than more than tolerant with uh this little passion that i uh, have been chasing.
1: that's very cool,
2: yeah, so um it's one of those things. I was young enough at the time, I, I did find the opportunity to grab it. And I did. And I, I really, looking back at it, um, I love and hate this business at the exact same time. I love, love getting in the ring and wrestling with my friends. I love the car rides. The, 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 the road trips are the absolute best. That's where you learn more wrestling than in the ring. Is when you can get into a car with a vet and you can talk about it and you can learn from these guys. The political aspect of this thing, the dealing with promoters, shitty promoters, you just kind of, it's par for the course. There's been more than, more than a few times where I've walked out not with, not gotten any money and losing money. And it's, that's just the nature of the beast. And you just, keep plugging away if you get bitter about it you either quit it and you're bitter about it or you get bitter and you just deal with it right so i got bitter and i dealt with it
1: (laughs) all right kids i'm gonna put a pin in it right there come on back on friday and we'll catch up with part two of setting down one-on-one with the great one for this week i am david k montoya and i'll see you
0: next time welcome to see red.